You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 150 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Black Cat Manor. Black Cat Manor is a fast and loud powder keg of raw emotion hailing from Northwest Illinois. Formed in 2013, Black Cat Manor has released three EPs and had a song featured on Season 7, Episode 1 of American Horror Story. Currently, Black Cat Manor is hard at work on their first ever full-length album, the anti-socially conscious lyrics set to blistering riffs and melodic breaks showcase the wide range of influences that pour from these seasoned musicians. For more information on Black Cat Manor, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as blackcatmanorband.com. Now here it is, their new single, An Old Friend.
ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hi, this is Fat Mike from, well, me first in the Gimme Gimme's, but more importantly, no effects. And you're listening to, uh, I can remember some things about tour. That one time on tour with the dude from the guitar, with uh, the other Chris from the guitars. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. I hope you are all well out there, staying safe and healthy, wearing your masks, getting your vaccinations, everything that you need to do during this crazy pandemic. But uh, we're going to jump right into what's going on today. I could not be more excited. Today on the program, it's a big one. It's a bucket list guest for me. I got the honor of sitting down and having a chat with Mr. Mike Burkett, better known as Fat Mike from Fat Records, No Effects, Me First in the Gimme Gimmies, and all kinds of other cool stuff. This was a long time coming. My show has always kind of been fat wreck heavy as, you know, I have a lot of friends that are involved in some way with the label, but this episode, it was an honor. It was a privilege. It was so much fun. I've been listening to no effects since high school, like freshman year in high school. And Mike is literally one of my favorite songwriters ever on this entire planet. (laughs) This episode was so much fun. Mike could not have been cooler he even previewed a new song that he's working on for on his acoustic guitar. He got the acoustic out and everything for the new No Effects record that's not even recorded or done yet. We talk a lot about the new record, single album. We talk about his songwriting process, staying independent for their entire career. He tells some awesome tour stories. And I get to hear this awesome story about the time he got scolded by Carrie King from Slayer for stealing snacks backstage. So, uh, you know, if you guys enjoyed this episode as half, half as much as I did, it will be a success. You're going to love it. It's probably the best episode ever. And uh, before I get to my conversation with Mike, I do need to pay some bills. We have some amazing sponsors. Black Cat Manor. What can I say about this band? I think this is maybe the seventh or eighth episode 
that they've sponsored. They are a huge part of the uh, TOTOT family. So thank you guys so much. Make sure to check out blackcatmanorband.com for all of their social links. And uh, check them out on Spotify, Apple, and all the streaming sites. Thanks a lot, guys. I love you, dudes. Partscaster Concierge. My buddy Gary, he builds guitars, and they were amazing. They're having a contest right now on their Instagram where you can actually win a lot of really cool stuff. So check out partscasterconcierge.com or search for them on the socials. SBAM.rocks. They have a music festival. They do art. They have a record label. They're amazing. Check them out. SBAM.rocks. If you are in the central Indiana area and you want to get some ink, you need to go to Permanence Tattoo Gallery on Meridian Street in downtown Anderson, Indiana. Check them out online at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Last but not least, our new sponsor and one of my favorites, Green Chef. Yes, meal kits. They're awesome. They have so many different choices, lifestyle choices, vegan, vegetarian, you know, keto, paleo, whatever you want. They're amazing. And uh, if you want $90 off and free shipping, go to greenchef.com forward slash nine zero T-O-T-O-T. Thank you, Green Chef. I really appreciate you sponsoring this episode. If you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, you can hit me up, T-O-T-O-T at gmail.com or send me a DM on any of the socials at TOTOT Podcast. If you want to support us on Patreon, it is patreon.com forward slash TOTOT Podcast. If you want to send a one-time donation, you can hit up my Venmo. It is at Christopher Swinney, that is C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. The easiest way to support is to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. If there's a follow button or a review button, whatever, just hit it. It's free and it helps us out. I want to give a shout out to our art director, Sarah. She's amazing. She's helping me get everything ready for the new band stuff and the website stuff for the for the podcast. She's awesome. Check her out. Follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Road Dog Supply and pick up some merch. Go to RoadDogSupply.com. Check out all the stuff she's doing after you go to TOTOTPodcast.com, which is our website. So that is the intro. I do have a very special radio segment today. So cue the theme music. On this edition of TOTOT Radio, it's totally self-serving today. Totally self-serving. Uh, I've been telling you guys for months about my new band, Fire Sale. Fire Sale consists of former members and current members of the Ataris, No Use for a Name, Face to Face, Protest the Hero, and Ann Beretta. Uh, we recently signed a deal with SBAM Records, which is a sponsor of the podcast, and we have a 7-inch single coming out very, very soon. Well, as of right now, our first single, Dark Hearts, is available for streaming everywhere. 
We've been working so like insanely hard and we're just super excited to finally share what we've been doing with all of you. Uh, we'll also be dropping a new video to coincide with the release of the new single. So make sure to follow us on the socials at fire sale is a band or check out firesaleisaband.com for all of the information. So without further ado, this is it. The world premiere of Dark Hearts by my new band, Fire Sale. I hope you guys enjoy it. Where have they gone? And who are you?
So there it was, my new band, Fire Sale, our new song, our new single, Dark Hearts. It's available everywhere now on all of the streaming sites, or it should be. I hope it is, because I'm, I'm putting this out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, check it out. Just search for Fire Sale, F-I-R-E-S-A-L-E, two words. Uh, or you can just check out firesaleisaband.com or on any of the socials at firesaleisaband. I want to give a shout out to everyone involved, um, Nick and Michael and, and Stefan at SBAM Records. I guess it's just SBAM Records. I always get messed up on that. Thank you guys so much for the hard work. Melanie K, our publicist, thank you so much. Our producer, Mr. Brian Churlo, and then all of my other dudes in the band, uh, Mr. Matt Riddle, Tim McMiller, Pedro Aida, and... Uh, Will Ferguson, who played drums, man. I, I just want to thank all of you guys so much for uh, for doing all the hard work. It's It's been a long time coming, but it's out now. So check it out. Firesaleisaband.com. New single, Dark Hearts. So that is the intro, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, without further ado, we're going to get to it because this is probably my favorite episode I have ever done in my life. Here it is. My conversation with Fat Mike. From no effects, fat records, me first in the gimme gimme's, and all kinds of cool stuff. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I am on the line with none other than Mr. Mike Burkett, otherwise known as Fat Mike from No Effects. What's going on, man? Uh, good morning. How are you? I, I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm very excited to have you on the program. I think I've had almost someone from every band ever on fat records. And I finally gotten to the top of the mountain. So thank you for coming on. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Um, it's weird how, how many interviews I'm doing. Uh, I've never done this many interviews in my life. Well, yeah, I, I told Vanessa, like I've had smelly on, I've had a bunch of different people on that are friends of yours. And I t- kept telling Vanessa, I'm like, Hey, if Mike ever decides this is something he wants to do, I will move heaven and earth to get him on this show. <laughs> Uh, well, just so you know, I was never asked, okay. uh, you know, uh, I just told Vanessa, I go, yeah, I'm, I'm up, you know, I'm sober. I'm up to doing a lot of interviews. And so she's, she's using this time because I normally hate doing interviews and smelly is smelly. Great. Smelly was smelly amazing. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. it was, it was cool. I'm, dude. I'm friends with Jordan from strung out and Jordan kind of put the bug in his ear. And then he told Vanessa, yeah, I'll do it. And then I think we talked for like two hours. It was like one of the best episodes ever, man. I love that guy. Yeah, he's fucking great. So, uh, I wanted to kind of get into something that I get into with a lot of the guests nowadays, which is this pandemic that we're kind of living through. You know, I follow you on Instagram. I, I see all the posts and everything. Are you doing okay with it still? I know California had some pretty tight laws for a while or like some guidelines. How is it affecting you currently? Uh, it, it really doesn't affect me that much. Uh, you know, um, uh, thank God I'm not alone, you know, uh, with my girlfriend. And uh, we, I've been writing songs uh, over the past four months like never before. You know, I have like 30 or 40 new songs. Wow. We're actually, NoFX are, are starting to record a new album in two weeks. Another uh, new album? <laughs> yeah, which is going to come out this year. Wow. So we get two uh, new NoFX records in one year. That's pretty awesome. Right. And I think that my newer songs, I mean, everyone thinks their newer songs are better, but I'm really happy with uh, 
musically and lyrically the new songs because you know uh single album i was on drugs i was drunk and on low writing that album most of the songs were written in the middle of the night and i was wasted every day in the studio bill stevenson was not happy about that yeah <laughs> but and and all these songs i'm writing uh not under the influence and it it should be interesting do you think that the 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 whole thing of being maybe on a substance or whatever did that affect the darkness because this album is fairly dark i mean i've been a fan since the first record and you guys have had dark songs in the past but this one's got a different weight to it do you feel that as well well yeah because i wrote it while i was depressed and i've never ever been depressed in my whole life i didn't understand it because you know i, I have a stress-free life but with my divorce and i was really lonely and uh, all my friends moved out of San Francisco and I was just, uh, I was in a bad place. And that's when I wrote these songs. I mean, this, this record was recorded in 2019. So, uh, it's an older record. We, 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 we didn't release it in September because we put out the Frank Turner split. Instead. So it is an older album, but yeah, uh, definitely. I was in, I was in a dark place and the lyrics show it, but you know, being on drugs, you also go in directions that you wouldn't normally go in, which is, uh, which is interesting too, you know, like the Koki album. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was writing that. I, I would not have touched those subjects. And a lot of those songs I, I regret recording. Yeah. You know, Cause I, I sung about stuff that just didn't need to be sung about. And there's actually, you know, a uh, single album had 28 songs originally. It was going to be recorded. a double album, correct? Yeah. Uh, a double album entitled single album. We kept the title, <laughs> actually. That's great. <laughs> but, uh, a lot of the songs I'm so glad I didn't release because they go into dark places and they they make other people feel bad. And I don't need to be doing that. So you're saying that some of the other songs that maybe you had written, they were even darker than the ones that made the record? Oh, yeah, totally darker. And there's also a bunch of funny songs that, that uh, got left off too because <laughs> some really good funny songs. But uh, once I got, when I figured out this was going to be a single album, I got the vibe of it. You know, the big drag sets the tone. And uh, and I wanted the rest of the record to, to feel like, a you know, a cohesive record, which, you know, we do. Yeah. You know, self-entitled was very cohesive. Oh, definitely, man. That, that big drag, that's one that I wanted to talk about because I'll tell you, like, I'm a music theory guy. I'm, I, I teach guitar for a living. So when I hear things that are a little different and then that song... Oh, cool. So you know, yeah, that song, it, the timing of it, like my question with that song, it's unlike any other no effect song that I've ever heard in a good or way. Any other song. Yeah. Or any other song. No, totally. I mean, it doesn't really follow a structure for how many times it repeats each time. The, the lyrics, I'll give you, yeah, you want to hear the details? I'll give you some, I want to, I want to hear it all. I want to know like where the lyrics first and then, or did you have that part in that weird way? And then you structured the lyrics. I want to know all of yeah. it, man. Okay. Well, I, I wrote the lyrics stream of consciousness, but I had a melody in my head. Right. But you know, I, I often try to just write my ideas down and not rhyme because rhyme rhyming slows you down. And it's obvious because of my musical, I'm stuck rhyming, but <laughs> I used to not rhyme like linoleum. It doesn't rhyme. Well, yeah, of Lies course. Doesn't rhyme. A lot of my songs don't rhyme, Bob. Uh, so one night I wrote it, I wrote this whole song pretty much one night. I wrote the chords, uh, and you know, I let melody dictate where the chords are going to go. Uh, this song is weird because this song, there are only, there's only three chords, 
and then one fourth chord, uh, you know, later in the song, which I never write like that. You know, like my verses now usually have 16 chords. Well, yeah, because you, you use like minors that you shouldn't use. Like this is stuff I can't wait to talk to you about. That's why I'm so glad you're here. Like, I don't really know what they're called, but uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you what they're called if you want. <laughs> yeah, check out this, this new song I've been working on. Check out this chord progression, right? It goes, no. Of course, I'll play it wrong. Oh, shit. I got to get this because it's so cool. Here it goes. Ooh. Yeah, there it is. Okay, just edit this out. <laughs> no, dude, I'm not I'm not editing that out. You just played a flat five. That's a wonderful, like dark uh, chord. She Oh my god. Where does she go at night? Oh yeah. Where does she go at night? Not night. You know, like uh, that's awesome, man. That's that's a newer song, and and I'm using chords I never used before. But you know, sixteen uh, a sixteen chord measure is is my my go to now. Yeah, I just can't write with three chords. But anyway, well, no, sorry what, to, what uh, you what you just did in that new song you were just playing on the acoustic guitar that. Where does she go? That second little chord, that's called a minor sixth. You guys use those quite a bit in the past. Do you have that knowledge about like, no. you just play what you think sounds good and then it works, right? Yeah. I, I come up with a melody. I'll play a chord, come up with a melody and I'll go, oh, what chord should I go to? Oh, I go to this one. And I just keep going. You know, the end of decline is a 32 chord progression. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of my favorite things. It's really complicated to play live, but uh, I—that's what I what I like to do. You know, it's my it's my fun game is to write something I've never written before. Yeah, uh, and to just keep pushing uh, as many chords as I can put in, but without making the song sound complicated. You know, it it's supposed to be catchy and cool. Well, that's kind of. I think that's a really cool thing that you guys do because I have friends that, you know, maybe don't listen to punk rock, aren't in the scene that we're in and I'll let them hear a no effect song. And they're like, Oh, it's like, it's like green day. I'm like, no, this is like the fucking Beatles, like the day. Beatles of punk rock. I mean, like there's so many intricate parts and I don't think, and I'm not trying to like blow smoke up your ass. I don't think you get the credit that you deserve for like, these little ear candy things that are in the songs. Like I, they're almost like Easter eggs, you know? Yeah. And uh, you're absolutely right. And I don't talk about it. And this album I am, it's funny because simple, a uh, single album is not that complicated. It's just, the ideas are different, but as far as chord progressions and weird chords, it's, it's a very simple album for us. Uh, unlike our, our previous albums, like Wolves and Wolves Clothing are self-entitled. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but this, uh, this, the new stuff I'm writing now is, is, 
you know, maybe being sober, whatever it is, I'm just, I'm pushing myself a lot. It's really fun. So, before, so anyway, no, before we get into like, I've got some questions about actual songs on the record, but just for your, your songwriting like process. And I know everybody has different processes and it's probably not the same every time. Do you normally have that stream of consciousness, like lyrical melody thing going on and then fit the music to it? Or do you ever just sit and write a complete progression and then fit stuff to that? Never write a, a, a progression. It's always, they always go hand in hand. And it's funny because I, 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 I help, I produce bands all the time. Yeah. And they go, and I help with melodies. They go, this is the progression. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, we may have to change some chords. What do you mean? <laughs> this is it. Well, you're in a box. You, you know, you're giving your singer a box to sing in. He can hit seven you know, notes and that's all he can hit, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's just, you, uh, if you have if you have three or four chords, you can sing a cool melody, but if you want to, it's just not very advanced. Yeah. And people go, oh, what about Bob? Only two chords. I go, yeah, I did that once. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I wrote the bruise too. Yeah. But uh, you can't, if you, you know, if Op Ivy made 14 albums using those same three chords, yeah, it wouldn't be Op Ivy. Yeah, definitely, you know? man. <laughs> it would be like, but one album, perfect. Perfect, yeah. So the songs that I really, that kind of stand out to me, like I, I took some notes because I, I'm an audiophile, man. When I hear something, I, I kind of dissect it a little bit, like theory and everything. I There are these songs on there that kind of almost remind you of classic no effects. You've got the reggae-tinged kind of song, the the fish in a gun barrel. Did When that happens, is that something that you just kind of do? Or are you thinking, man, let's write a reggae song? Like, how does that come out? Because you have a couple in the in the career. I wrote, I wrote uh, on the bus one night, I wrote uh, three reggae songs. And uh, that was that was one of them. Uh, and when I got further into that song, it I've never felt like I was going mad, like I was going crazy writing a song before. <laughs> and because the timing on that song is so weird, and I couldn't, you know, and I I play as I sing melody, and I oh I, I kept saying to myself, I want to start every line in a different spot. So it's always a little surprising when the vocals come in, and the first time you hear it, it sounds so weird. Cause I come in one, uh, one note too soon. Yeah. It sounds like we fucked up. And then uh, as you keep going, I come into different places all the time. And Smelly was like, I'm never gonna be able to learn this. It's so weird. <laughs> but the drums just stay consistent. It's where the vocals come in. And a couple of times the guitars get weird, but uh, it just sounds weird. But yeah, it's all thought out. I spent three hours just coming up with how do I sing this? <laughs> and Drive myself crazy. So that kind of brings up a point. When Smelly was on the show, he said that like in back in the day, maybe it was a little bit more collaborative and, you know, everybody got a little more say. I'm not saying like you took over anything, but you're writing the majority of the stuff. How does it go when the guys come in and you guys start putting the songs together? Are they injecting their own ideas? Are you kind of running the, the show? How does that work? Uh, well, it's it's always been this way. I mean, we always lived in different cities. I was in San Francisco. They were in LA. I'd write songs. Uh, I'd write an album and we get together, rehearse for a week and yeah. then record the album. Wow. So, uh, you know, I just, I always wrote everything. Eric Melvin wrote a couple of riffs here and there, you know, the beginning of sell out. I live in a cake, uh, the beginning of believe it alone. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I just write this stuff. And it, I think it's why the band gets along so well and why we've been together for so long is we don't 
uh, have that ego thing going on where, you know, a lot of bands, everyone wants to write a song and those bands are generally mediocre or you listen to Sgt. Peppers and there's one song that isn't very good. It's George Harrison's song. Uh, You know, that's just how it is. That's why they only gave one song per album. And he did write some good ones. But, uh, and, you know, and I tell Eric Melvin, send me riffs, you know, I'll put them into a song. Yeah. But, you know, I've been doing this a long time and producing, you know, 30, 40 albums. So I'm just more experienced and I know exactly what I want to do. You have a and I don't, you have a vision for what you're doing, right? Absolutely. And once I get a vision of what the album is supposed to sound like, then I really start. You know, like right now, I, I have like 40 riffs and melodies. Wow. And uh, and now I'm picking which ones will go well together. Yeah. And and I, when I arrange songs, it's not on guitar. It's not jamming. It's on my head. You know, I wake up in the morning, especially when now that I'm clear headed. I wake up and I'll spend 45 minutes thinking about a song of all the different ways it could go. And then it's done. You know, that brings up a good point. You were talking about having the same lineup, you know, Hefe joined in like 91. I have listener questions. I normally wait till the end, but Gavin from Pennsylvania said, you know, how have you in almost four decades retained pretty much the same lineup? Do you have a secret? Is it the no ego thing or are there more components in your mind that you think you kept those guys together? Well, I think uh, when bands write, I know this happens. When when a lot of people in bands write songs, uh, there's generally one better songwriter. So it it just starts to fuck up everything, uh, and you and you see band members quit because of that, or get kicked out. We don't have that problem. And everyone in my band, they're all just cool guys, non-smokers that have great hair, you know. And that's just uh, it, it works out well. I mean we've been best friends for 40 years. So, and what a wonderful career we've had, you know, Yeah. making the decision not to go to a major and not to really make videos for MTV and radio. That was such a great decision because, uh, you know, we were happy and I realized you can't get more than happy. Happy is the goal. Happy is success. You can't get more happy. You really can't. (laughs) You're the happy or you're not. And I didn't want to, you know, take that road into, you know, playing stadiums or arenas or, you know, big clubs and then fall happens to so many bands. Let's just do what we do. And it's worked out so perfectly. It's just, we have a really fulfilling, fun career. So, you know, it's not hard to stay together if you pick the right guys, you know, our, uh, our goal was never success or money. Our goal was just being a punk band. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to the guy that was the fifth guitarist for the Ataris, so. <laughs> fifth out of 20. Yeah, fifth out of 20. There's been three or four more since I left the band, so yeah, there totally has. You know, and when Smelly was was doing heroin, Smelly was on heroin when he recorded White Crash and Longest Line, and at no point did I ever think, oh, he was on heroin, we're going to kick him out. No way. It's like, you know, let's just make sure he does a good record. And, uh, and Ribbed, he was on heroin, too. So, uh, yeah, it's not hard if you have cool guys. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths 
and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. So you were mentioning, you know, I want to keep talking about the new record, but I've always wondered, you guys were the band that stayed independent. You didn't go the way of all the other bands, kind of your peers. Were there a lot of labels courting you back then, like like trying to get you to sign? How was that for you? Uh, well, my lawyer said, everyone wants to sign you guys. And I set us up with one, see how it goes. And it was Hollywood Records, and it was... What a terrible dinner it was. I left uh, almost in tears. They made me feel so bad about my career. Wow. You know, if you wanted a second fiddle to Offspring and Rancid your whole life. And I was like, oh, uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah. Rancid just played Saturday Night Live. And I was like, oh, man. Uh, like I went, I went to uh, the Virgin Megastore in London and we just sold out this show. So I'm shopping for records and I counted 250 Offspring Smash records. I counted... 20 uh rancid outcome of the wolves and there was one punk and drug <laughs> and i was like oh man like we used to be kind of the biggest band on epitaph you know <laughs> next to bad religion so it, it was hard but once i i decided and convinced the band this is our path it was easy from there so <laughs> that that's a that's an awesome story man um did anybody like in those other bands, did they ever try to like court you for the label they were on? I don't know if that happens. You know how, like if you're friends with somebody and you get them signed to the label you're on, <laughs> you know, I didn't know if that ever yeah, happened. No, no. I mean, we're so in our own galaxy, you know, uh, being on a label in San Francisco, we're just a satellite. And, uh, and I moved to LA a couple of years ago and it's weird how people know me, uh, from, you know, other labels or in the music industry. And I don't know anybody because I just, I'd be in San Francisco or I'd go on tour. So, I mean, I know all the punk bands, yeah, yeah. but uh, I don't know people in the music industry. So it's just weird. People are like, oh yeah, I know who you are. Really? Because I never heard of you. <laughs> so how are, how are you enjoying LA? I'm, I'm friends with Sam King. He's been on the show a couple of different times. And uh, when he was on the show last time, he was actually like painting your place. <laughs> he was doing the mural and stuff like are you enjoying being in LA? I am. Uh, I, I really love it here. It's where I'm from. And uh, well, it's not just the weather. Uh, I love being around all these, all my old friends. And yeah, COVID hasn't affected me much. I'm just, uh, I'm just living at my house and a studio, which is really nice. And uh, I'm, I'm selling my house. So I'm, I kind of want to, me and my lady, we want to Airbnb for the rest of our lives. Just go to different cities around the world and stay for a couple months. Uh, and right now I'm moving to Vegas cause I'm opening, uh, the punk rock museum in Las Vegas. I bought a building and, uh, we have 12,000 square foot building. Wow. I already got Sid's boots. <laughs> Do you still have your place in Vegas that people could rent out? No, no. we rented to people. And they destroyed it. So I, I sold it. Oh, okay. So when you say you're moving to Vegas, are you just moving there to get everything ready? Or are you actually going to be like living there full time? Hey, no, no California tax. I like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm moving there for a year to get the the place ready. 
a lot of cool people are, are involved. Uh, you know, Vinny from Less Than Jake and Lisa Brownlee and awesome. Stern Brothers, uh, Pat Smear. I just talked to him. He's totally in. Awesome, man. So uh, you were mentioning before producing. I knew that you guys had the decomposers for a while. I'm friends with Yo Tom and a couple of those guys. Is that still a thing or is that kind of, did that take a back seat? Uh, well, I, there were so many bands on fat records that I really liked and I really wanted to produce. I, I used, I used to produce one band a year, you know, and it was usually they're in the fifties. Uh, but I love get dead so much. And man, I worked so hard on this new album. Uh, you know, we re-recorded pretty much everything. Sam told and, me, uh, Sam said they let you hear it and you're like, we could put it out, but I don't think it's right. <laughs> well, you know, I did a lot of pre-production with them. Yeah. And what I do with bands is I work on melodies and some chord structures. And uh, th- I wasn't there for recording and he lost his phone, didn't tell me, and just changed all the melodies. <laughs> and, you know, and a lot of them sounded weird because we changed chords and stuff because it, it if you don't put down the, the same melody, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But I mean, like the sound that they got, this really cool, dirty ska uh, hip hop sound, that, that's all them. I, like I never change a sound of a band. I just kind of work on a chords and melody. But decomposers, decomposers, uh, it's funny, I'm, ha- I'm having a meeting tomorrow afternoon. But, uh, you know, when I was in rehab, they, uh, Yo Tom and Johnny and Baz, they started their own production uh, group without me. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a terrible. Uh, I I was I just started crying. Yeah. You know, I'm in rehab, and through my best friends, instead of being the decomposers with four of us, they started the LA Brats, and I was like, oh my god, wh- why? Like we just did seven amazing records. Yeah. Uh, I guess they felt I let them down or something because I was busy doing other stuff. And it was, it was traumatic for me. And, uh, it was a good thing I was in rehab. I, w- I was like, what do I do? I asked my therapist, like, I feel so terrible. I, all I want to do is fucking drink. And she's like, no, you just have to sit with it. You just have to sit with it. And I sat with it for like four hours and then I felt much better. I just, I, I changed the perspective. I, I was like, oh, I'm not working enough for them. They want to work. They don't dislike me. They just don't think I was, uh, they just want to do it without me. Yeah. And, and I felt, Oh, I don't have to worry about those guys anymore. I'll just do my own thing. And you know, it was weird. It's hard to flip the script like that. Yeah. But that's actually what I learned in rehab is to look at something and instead of going down the rabbit hole, just make it positive. And, you know, and I wrote a really nice email and said, good luck, you guys. I love you all. Yeah. Good luck with your endeavor. It's sad that decomposers that I really thought we were doing great records with Bomb Pops and Bad Cop and Days and Days, Mad Caddies, No Effects, you know, and uh, it, yeah, it's just, it just ended. They ended it. So back to that kind of thing, then the production aspect of it, you worked, you know, you guys have worked with Ryan Green, you've worked with all kinds of different people. This time around, you worked with Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore, and you are a producer. Is it weird being produced? Uh, oh, not at all. Uh, and it's, I'm never really produced. Like Bill Stevenson is like, he, he's a master at getting tones and getting you to have good takes. But he's like, fatty, I'm not going to give you melody advice. You know, fuck that. 
<laughs> I give bands help that need help. Yeah. Uh, but he, he gets me to do my best takes for sure. I mean, he's a wonderful uh, producer. It, is it ever lost on you that you are working with Bill Stevenson from the descendants? Do you still kind of get, because I've met those guys a million times. Stefan was on the program. Like I still, when I'm talking to one of those guys or even you, it's like, it blows my mind that I'm talking to these people that kind of influenced me and inspired me when I was young and to, to get into music. At the beginning it was, but we've done, I think three records together now. Yeah. And he comes out to San Francisco. So we, we spend all our time together. So we're just, you know, really close friends now. I did get very starstruck talking to Pat Smear uh, the other day. Uh, but I, I've known him for a while. And I think I get more nervous around him than anybody. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I'm such a, a Germs fan. Oh, and yeah, yeah. such a cool dude. I've never met Pat. I've met Dave a few times and, and he was always the nicest guy. We talked about, what was that? You know, Dave's easy to be around. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. We talked know, about punk for a half hour from someone in the screen, <laughs> you know, it was actually when I met Dave, I met him in Amsterdam, uh, when he was playing with scream. Oh, that's awesome, man. What, what year was that? Do you know? 88, 88. And, and, you know, and, and that's how we always, uh, you know, we stayed in contact since then, but uh, it's not like we have each other's phone number. But <laughs> I've been I've been actually uh, emailing back and forth with Shiflet, Chris Shiflet, about being on the show, uh, just because I'm a, to I'm a huge No Use fan, and I I love the Foo Fighters, so I was like, man, he'd be a good guest on the show. Speaking of that, is there any Gimme Gimme stuff coming up in the future? No, none. No, uh, uh. Uh, COVID, COVID hit the gimmies pretty hard. Yeah, and uh, I mean, like, they people in the gimmies got it. Wow, you know. So I, I don't know if they want that public, but yeah, a uh, bunch of the gimmies got it. And uh, we're also busy doing other stuff. I mean, I haven't played live with the gimmies in a long time. Yeah, but it just seems that uh, Spike is way more into playing live than recording. Uh, and uh. You know, I, I love recording with the gimmies, but I don't, we don't, we have no plans. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of people that asked that on the social. So I'm glad that we got to that. Now, uh, I want to talk about the last song on the record. It's, uh, it, it starts out with this piano, like almost ballad type thing. It's called Your Last Resort. And then it becomes maybe, I mean, it reminds me of the decline. It's, it's very, it's got all those cool chords that we talked about. It's super fast, super aggressive. Can you kind of tell me how that came together? Do you play piano as well? Uh, very little. I, I write on piano. And then uh, Baz, who I work with a lot, he played the, the piano chords and, and I sang to it. We actually in Barcelona, we wrote that. And this song was the only song that Jason and Bill didn't record. We This was the last song recorded out of all 28. So Baz recorded this one. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I love, I love this song. It means a lot to me. It's the most heartbreaking for me. And, uh, I think it's got my favorite, one of my favorite things I've ever written in it, which is, uh, I sing a line. We are strapped down with minor chords as we set sail into the dark and sharpest sea. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Oh, but when I hit, when I say dark and sharpest sea, I hit a C sharp minor. <laughs> that's, that's great, man. Oh, Band down with minor chords. Yeah, yeah. Set sail. So uh, I have to say that 
on interviews because no one would ever notice. No, I, I think that's great. I mean, that brings up, you know, the that's one, Easter egg thing you're talking about. The, the the one thing that I've always loved about your lyrics is that there's that kind of sharp wit that is almost signature, like fuck euphemism. That song has got some of the best pun stuff that you've ever done. I mean, I'm not trying to kiss your ass. That's just, it's great songwriting, man. Well, well thank you very much. I think those might be my best lyrics. You know, uh, wordsmith, uh, don't hate me because I'm a wordsmith in Wesson. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. And, and more importantly, when I say uh, I'm, a, I'm a single, not a plural person, so call me Per for the night. Uh, I'm trying to spread this around. Per is a great pronoun for uh, for non-gender specific people and for trans people that that want uh, that don't want to. Uh, they're non-binary. Yeah. Uh, it always works when you say, uh, "Oh, I saw Per last night." Uh, oh, I slept with Per. You know, it sounds a lot better than I saw them last night. I slept with them. It, it just it's, it makes you sound slutty. It makes you. Uh, <laughs> You're telling a different story. It would confuse someone yeah. if you said I accepted them. Uh, and I, I'm certainly not here to tell anyone uh, what words to use. Because, you know, I like to call myself a transvestite, not a crossdresser. Yeah. Because I grew up with Rocky Horror. But per, short for person, works all the time. It's vague, non-gender specific. And I think people should try using per. Uh, I mean, you know, I first heard it when I was studying human sexuality at San Francisco State. I thought it was such a cool term. It's a Doris Lessing term, but no one ever used it. Now's the time. Is it like, are there people out there that are championing that? Or do you feel like? No, I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to start this movement. Well, maybe, maybe that'll, it'll one work. One podcast at a time. One podcast at a time. Yeah. So uh, I tell you what, man, you had told me previously that you had some tour stories. We normally get into this at some point, but uh I would be very, you know, eager to know what stories you had prepared because <laughs> this is about being on the road and being on tour, you know? Well, uh, Vanessa, my publicist said, you know, you don't have to just talk about kinky stuff. We're all kind of, <laughs> uh, we're all kind of sick of fat Mike talking about your kinky shit. Yeah. My, my show's pretty lighthearted. We talk about, you know, food fights and, and sleeping on floors and stuff like that. Well, that's, that's all people got, you know, they don't have the, Never lives that fucking crazy shit that I lived. Yeah. I mean, really, my Tuesday night is crazier than most people's lives. I, I would but, I would imagine, yeah. So just for Vanessa, I'm going to tell this story. Okay, cool. Uh, because she told me that. Vanessa was riding with no effects in Europe one year, and the only open bunk was the one beneath mine, which no one wants to sleep there. <laughs> uh, she had to, like, put a towel up because she said uh, a cock ring and a butt plug had fallen through the side. <laughs> Uh, she was kind of bummed, but uh, she went to take a nap during the day. And me and my my uh, wife Soma went to our bunk to fuck during the day. Yeah, and uh, we started talking really dirty. You know, uh, we we usually do like not usually, but you know, the term "daddy" gets thrown in there, right? That's normal. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, God, I've never told anyone this story. <laughs> and, and, and then uh, we this time we were getting a little weirder. And she was like, uh, she was kind of pretending to be my mother. And she's teaching me how to have, have sex for the first time. Okay. <laughs> right? Which is, you know. I, I'm sure Vanessa loved that, right? No, no. But it got weird. Because <laughs> uh, I'm like, is this right, mommy? 
right? Oh, I use the, the, the mommy word, which is like very, uh, taboo. You don't say that shit. Yeah. And, and we're fucking, and she's saying, yeah, that's right, baby. Uh, show me your mom, show mom your big cock and all stuff. And Vanessa is hearing all of it <laughs> in the bottom bunk. And she doesn't, she's like, I can't get up cause they'll know I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and after like 20 minutes or so, she just, we heard her get up and we're like, Oh my God, Vanessa heard all that. And, uh, yeah, because she told me not to tell a dirty story <laughs> today. Uh, that was for her. <laughs> Shout out to Vanessa. <laughs> I have a funny Atari story. I would love to hear that. Yes. Uh, we, you probably weren't on the warp tour. The last time that I saw you in person and had a conversation with you was 2009. Cause we were both on the main stage. Main stage. So that was probably the tour where you had a tour manager that you hated. No, actually that, that tour, we had one we really liked. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, I was on a one where I was hanging out with Chris on your guy's bus. Okay. And, him and another member were telling me how much they hated their tour manager. Okay. Such a dick. And they're uh, thinking about firing him, but they don't know how to tell him. So then the tour manager comes on the bus and I'm talking to him, hanging out for like 15 minutes. Uh, I'm drunk, of course. Uh, <laughs> I just got a pedicure, you know, with the buzzcocks. So I have flip flops on and a new, and my toenails are painted, you know, red. So I'm leaving and I couldn't figure out the door. It was dark. I was drunk. And their tour manager goes, you got to be smarter than the door. And I was like, hmm, I just met him. Uh, I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't like, I don't like someone uh, totally punking me because it was, it was hard door to open, whatever. Chris could have said that or anybody else. Yeah. But not, not a tour manager who doesn't know me. So I go, uh, oh, I don't like that. That's a weird thing to say. He's like, well, I'm just, you know, just giving you shit. I go, oh, well, I'm just going to give you shit. You know, your band hates you and they're trying to figure out a way to fire you. Uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. So just know that you're, you're not loved on this bus. <laughs> and uh, this was after he showed me how to open the door. I go, thanks for helping me with the door. <laughs> and, and I left and then I'm walking down. Uh, I see Fletcher. I'm walking towards Fletcher for Pennywise. Then he comes off the bus. What he had done in the, those two minutes was put a bandana on his head. And he came out to brawl with me. Seriously? Seriously? Yeah. Oh, seriously. But I thought it was so funny. He's like, you fucking talking shit to me about my band? You fucking, you know, disrespecting me like that? I'm like, did you just put a bandana on? <laughs> and he's like, fuck you, man. I'm, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. And I'm like, okay, I just got a pedicure. There's no way I'm fighting you. You could fight my friend Fletcher here, though. I go, Fletcher, this guy, is, uh, he wants to fight me. Fletcher's like, what? You want to fight <laughs> You're the guy with the guitars, right? When you go back on your bus. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm not going to fight you. I have, I have bigger friends that will do my fighting for You're me. under the Fletcher <laughs> umbrella. Yeah, and I, and I just got a pedicure. You know, that's yeah. just, you can't fight in flip-flops. <laughs> I wouldn't, who am I fooling? I wouldn't fight anyway. Oh, yeah. But I yeah, put on a bandana. <laughs> well, I tell you, those are, those are great stories. Yeah, I don't think I was on that tour. I think that was maybe a year or two before my time. So Are those great stories? Those are, I, I, I just... Those were my cleaner ones. Well, I mean, it's it's just nice to, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to ask you about touring. You know, I just wanted to make sure that you're happy and comfortable on the show. <laughs> Here's a short story. I got it, man. We got time. Whatever you want to tell me. Two, two lines. Uh, go online and look up uh, Studio Black Fun. Studio Black Fun. Okay. 
I spent uh, three or four hours there one night after Punk and Drublick. Uh, look at their videos. Yeah, I fuck. I it was the craziest place I've, I've ever been in my life. I, I I went there with two doms and uh, just look, just look at what I went through. Studio Black Fun. It, it was in Leipzig. Okay. Uh, I booked a Punk and Drublick in Leipzig for one reason. <laughs> So I could go to this place after the show and you know, Leipzig, it's a small German East German city. So yeah, it was a small show. And Dave's like, why are we playing here? This is, you know, we're not making any money. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I just wanted to play Leipzig. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you have like certain places that you are stoked to go back to? Like I know, you know, I just remember Osaka jail from the the backstage passport thing. Do you have like maybe a, a list of places you have to hit while you're on tour? Uh, that's one of them. Os- Osaka jail. You know, I go to Japan every year and a half, every two years. Uh, every time I go there, it's the same ladies and they're all like, Fem Mike, you know, <laughs> and, and I, we always, I always go two nights in a row. And I went there with, with Soma once and she just straight up, got a strap on and fucked two of the girls that night, you know, just right there in wow. front of everyone, you know, cool stuff. <laughs> then the girls beat me up and it was, it was crazy. Uh, not crazy. Just actually my Tuesday night, your Tuesday night, which is way different than my Tuesday night. I have toddlers. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I have a kid, I just, but, uh, you, you know, it doesn't matter if you have kids, just, you don't do that stuff in front of them. You do yeah, that stuff. Of course. <laughs> Of course. So I tell you what, man, I've had you on the line for a while. I have a couple more questions. I do have a couple listener questions if you wouldn't mind answering those. Sure. And I want to tell you about the big drag. Oh, well, let's, let's finish that. Let's talk about that because I'm, I'm so interested in, I mean, to the normal listener that might not have some of that theory or some of that music experience, I'm not going to say it's a hard, it kind of is a hard listen. Like maybe it doesn't mesh the first couple times. You know what I mean? No. Supposed to make you feel uneasy. Yeah. Because the subject matter is uneasy. And, you know, I wrote it one night and I, uh, you know, the chords uh, and all the words and the melody. And then uh, I, but the, the timing, I wanted every measure to be a different time. Just because I, it's like if you keep singing this on the same note, this melody, Everyone wants it to change. You're like, when is it going to change? And then when it changes at different times, every it's just, oh, fuck. Do you, oh, know, do, you, do you know what we call that in music theory? No idea. Suspension. Because you, oh. you're not resolving to where it should go. So you're suspending yeah. it and it makes people like, oh, my God, like they, they want right. that next thing, you know? And, and then every chord I go to has a slightly different rhythm than the one before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, totally. Dude, I dissected that song. <laughs> every time I go back to it, it's a different rhythm. Uh, I mean, the same rhythm. And then, uh, you know, the drums are just wacky. You know, we, we didn't record this at one. It was We recorded the guitar, the vocals, and then we did the drums. Because we just kind of went as, as a song went. And then, uh, you know, the piano gets super weird. Uh, it comes in left, and then it comes in on right. And then a couple times it comes in late. And, uh, and the bass, the bass never really lands on a note. It's always going, I, I go, woo, woo. I'm just like going up and down. It's just, so you hear the low end of bass, but I don't go to the note very often. So you're just so kind I'm of sliding to- around like between notes kind of, or? 
just sliding up and down the neck a okay. lot. Okay. And the guitars hold the note, but it's just, it's very uneasy when the bass does not land on a note. Yeah. The foundation is kind of shaky, right? But that's kind of the idea. It's that, it's that very, it is an uneasy feeling. I love it because I love progressive stuff. And I, I don't know if you like that word or not, but I would call that song progressive. It's like. For sure. But I don't like it because of that. I, I like it because when it does hit and you, the chords do change and the melody does come into play and the drums come in it's very fulfilling oh yeah and uh you know and people i've never started with a long song i hate that oh yeah because it's like what like a six and a half minute song to start the record that's kind of unique yeah like jason from starting out was over here one day and i played him a couple new uh some songs off the album i go this is the opener he's like no i I played him uh fuck euphemism he's like oh is this the opener i go no this is the opener a six minute song he's like what can't open the six minute song i'm like well listen to it first and he heard it he's like oh that's the opener yeah yeah. because yeah. it doesn't bore you no it doesn't at all and i think that's that's part of the charm of it like it like you said it it never quite lands until everything kind of comes together and it's my favorite song now it's it's my favorite song one of my favorite no effect songs ever i don't get sick of hearing it it's so weird because you know after you're recording an album and, and listening to it so many times I'm not sick of that song. It's the only song I'm not sick of. Well, the last thing that I'll ask, and I know you were on my friend Chris from Less Than Jake's podcast talking about linoleum, but I I do want to ask, where did that kind of come from, that idea? Because linoleum, you know, hands down, everybody knows it, everybody plays it. I, I love that whole take on it. People cover it all the time. My old band before the Ataris, we played it all the time. I'm sure we played it wrong. <laughs> but uh, when you were coming up with that idea, I've never heard of a band that really did like that kind of a thing. Did that feel like new and exciting to you? Like to Yeah. I mean, I, I try to do something new all the time. And because this was a double album originally, I'm like, what can I do? It's different. I did a bunch of things that I couldn't do that I had to take out. Like there was a riff that I put in four different songs. That was the last song in the album. So it's like, you hear little Easter eggs of it. Oh, I've heard this riff before. Yeah, because I played it four times on the album underneath something. Yeah, and then you hear the last song. Was it? You know, I, there's, and there's a bunch of other things that when I release a couple songs, two songs go together in such a crazy weird way that I don't think anyone's done before. And and linoleum, no one's done that. And then when you hear when you you don't change chords and melody and lyrics to an old song, <laughs> it fucks your head. The first time you hear linoleum, it was weird. It was weird. weird. Yeah. It's weird for like three times. And now if you listen to linoleum, it's that's weird. weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just that kind of thing is so fun for me. It's what I live for is uh, surprising people with my music. Where did the uh, relationship with Vince Sevenfold come in? Have you known them for a while? Yeah, we played poker a lot on the Warp Tour. Uh, their singer, mm, mm, Shadows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a... I call him, hmm. <laughs> you know, his friends call him, hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a great poker player. Uh, we started golfing, and uh, we became really good friends. He's one of the coolest dudes I've ever met. Uh, and he's the person that actually uh, really convinced me to make this a single album, because I played him all of it. And he's, he, you know, we're his favorite band, so who better than to help make these kind of decisions. And he goes, I love the album, but it'd be a better single album. 
And that's what I was thinking already. Uh, but you know, he's not, a uh, he's not in my, on my team at fat records or stuff. I can really <laughs> trust his opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but before that, I just called them because they were the biggest band that did linoleum. Yeah. Asked them if they wanted to play on it. They said, hell yeah. So I sent them the song and they called back and said, are you talking shit about us in the song? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, when every hopeless band plays it wrong, yeah. that's Avenged Sevenfold. <laughs> they go, we thought you were talking shit. I'm like, Is that a problem? They're like, no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then they played the leads on it. And then, you know, we did the video and it was really fun. I mean, all those dudes are really cool. They're absolutely the coolest metal band because they're not from the metal world. Yeah. You know, metal bands are, are pricks, you know. Kerry King, what an asshole. <laughs> Dude, can I tell you a story about Kerry King real quick? Is that cool? Yeah. <laughs> so my dad took me to OzFest when I was like 14 or 15, 16, whatever. And my dad was a pretty funny guy. And Kerry King was signing autographs at this little Ernie Ball tent at Ozfest and he was walking away with like his assistant or whatever. And he had a whole stack of eight by tens and he bumped, he bumped into my dad and he said, Hey, do you want an autograph? And my dad goes, who the fuck are you? And (laughs) (laughs) And he just, his shoulders went down and he was so dejected and just upset. I I love that story. (laughs) Well, we played with them uh, in East Germany with Slayer. Yeah. And while they were playing me and Soma snuck into their backstage room uh, to steal snacks and shit, you know? Slayer's next because you know they're great, and uh, uh, the band came back there after. First was Dave Lombardo, and Dave Lombardo is such a cool guy. He's a great guy. Like, hey, yeah. up, you know, I've heard about you. Nice to meet you. And Sam, you're a great drummer, great show. Uh, we're just taking some snacks. You know, he's like, oh yeah, take whatever you want. We never eat this stuff. And then Kerry came back. What are you guys doing? Those are snacks. And like, Sorry, dude. We just we Dave told us we could take some Slayer snacks. Uh, put those down get it get out of our room you can't have our snacks what a dick (laughs) slayer snacks i want to try a slayer snack man (laughs) okay so uh i do have a couple listener questions uh actually i'm just gonna ask one Uh, i i like this question i think maybe you'll like it as well scott from australia would like to know if you can tell us maybe a tour maybe a story about tony sly Uh, oh That's mm. is that a tough one, man? I'm I'm sorry. It's a tough one because when the first thing I think about is, you know, when Matt Riddle called me and told me, yeah. Uh, and then I think about, uh, I mean, it's just it's such a devastating death for me. It's still it's such a, a terrible, terrible death. Uh, uh okay. Uh, the Cokey the Clown show where i uh pissed in the patron bottle <laughs> yeah he was one of the four people that knew about it that really knew, uh what was going on uh and it's like i gotta tell people about this that we, we did a switch you know we we switched on camera yeah uh switch bottles because you know when i did it he was one of the first people to drink it so everyone's like oh tony sly drank it too and he's like dude i want to tell people it wasn't really pissed <laughs> and uh and uh he kept it a secret. That's awesome. That was, uh, I, you know, we took him on tour. I toured with Tony almost more than anyone. And uh, just such a, such a great dude. Such a wonderful friend. Yeah, nicest guy I've ever met. Like, he didn't have to be nice to me when I did because I wasn't in a bigger band. I was in a small band, and he was always just – 
the most gracious, nice guy ever. So I great dude. And, uh, the, you know, the best songwriter on fat, probably my favorite. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it's just such a shame because he was getting better and better. You know, the, the last news for name record, I think is my favorite. And, and his solo stuff. I, you know, I did see him bitch slap someone once. You saw him uh, bitch slap someone. Tell that story. I'd like to hear that at one. The triple rock at the triple rock. Okay. In Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, after hours we were all wasted and some guy, uh, I forgot what he said exactly, but it was lame. And Tony's like, what'd you say? He's like, I said this. And Tony just went, <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Tony Sly, bitch slap someone? Jesus. That's hilarious, man. Well, I, I've become friends with uh, with Matt Riddle since he was on the program. We're, we're real close now. We're actually playing some music together. And man, I, I have a wealth of Tony stories from Matt. He tells me stories all the time about Tony. So thank you so much for sharing those stories. And I see you're drinking Liquid Death. They're a, they're a sponsor of my podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Do you like the uh, sparkling or, or the still? I like the sparkling better. I drink I drink probably six Liquid Deaths a day. Do you really? Yeah. Uh, but they sent them to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as I met Mike from Liquid Death, and uh, he's like, you can still get in. You can still invest if you're going. So I invested a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, it's so a great like, company. It makes me feel like I'm on Warp Tour again, drinking water out of a can. <laughs> Yeah, but it's uh, it's just I, I love it. I love their commercials. Uh, I love everything about them. <laughs> That's awesome, man. We're Seven Eleven now, and uh, and Whole Foods, and crazy. <laughs> That's great. Well, I tell you what, man, I've had a blast today. Uh, the new record comes out February twenty sixth. It'll be out by the time this episode is out, so everybody needs to go check it out. I just I can't say enough good stuff about your songwriting and about how you are as a guy, and you have you've inspired me since I was really young and to have you on the show today has been a, it's been a dream come true and an honor. So thank you. That's such a, a sweet thing to say. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, this is a good interview and I'm really happy to do this. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, it's really nice to do an interview with someone who uh, is interesting, who did research and who's like into it. You know, it's nothing worse than vague questions. Well, no, I told the funny thing is, and I'll get into it a little bit here at the end. You know, I told Vanessa, I'm like, you know, whenever he wants to come on, I want him to come on. And I want him to know it's not going to be the same bullshit. Like, I, I'm i very interested in everything that you do, but just the songwriting aspect, I don't think a lot of people really talk about that. And I know you get fired up about that because the few interviews I've heard when they've mentioned something about that, you get, I can tell you kind of light up a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I, it's so true. You know, because uh, what I think my best writing is, is Home Street Home, my musical. Oh, yeah. And, we didn't even and, touch uh, that. You got to come back and talk about that next time, man. Oh, I will. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, I have an exciting phone call in uh, in two hours about that. Awesome. Yeah. Producer uh, Barbara Broccoli is, I'm talking to Barbara Broccoli about it. Oh, that's great. See, if I've, if I've, I've heard of her, if I've heard of her, that's a big deal because I don't know much about that that world, you know? Oh, I don't either, but it's just, uh, I think it's my best work and having it not out there, you know, there's four volumes of, of CDs. Yeah. Only one's out and I can't put it out now because I can't open the show. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking. I don't, I don't care about not being able to play no effect shows. I just want my musical to be seen <laughs> by people. And the 2014 version on YouTube, that's not the musical. Yeah. That was, it, it, you know. Well, that was where like Skiba was going to be in it and stuff back then, right? 
Yeah, and that was the first, you know, after we did that, a New York producer picked us up and we spent the next four years perfecting it and, and making the characters much stronger. And, and we changed a lot of the story, you know, no more rape scene. Uh, Cause it, it, it disturbed too many people. Anyway, so and it's, and it's, uh, it just haunts me that it's not out there. Well, hopefully, you know, that'll all get taken care of. I wanted to ask, this is just kind of off the top of my head. This wasn't really research, but there was that video that had something to do with, with that of your daughter, Darla singing. Oh yeah. She sang, uh, she was 14 and I recorded, I just wanted to sneak her on the album and I, I recorded the first time and we made a video for it, which she filmed and it was her first take walking down Skid Row. But, uh, the producer, I played it for him and I go, I found this 14 year old girl. I think we should use her. I didn't tell her she was my daughter. Yeah. And he's like, I love her. She's great. She sounds like a kid, great voice. So she ended up singing seven songs on the album. You should check out the video. The first time video. It's really cool. Dude, her voice is great, man. It's so good. She didn't get it from me. <laughs> That's for sure. Maybe she got her melodic senses from you though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I made her take piano and she was, you know, she wrote a Tony Sly song. She wrote this beautiful song called My Friend's Dad, Tony. Wow. Because she didn't know him, but everyone else always talks about him. Yeah. And, and you know, Fiona was her best friend for a long time. That's awesome, man. I, I just. Now we're, now we're best friends, Violet. It's like, you know, <laughs> the, the caper kid, the sly kid. <laughs> and the cat kid. That's pretty cool that they're best friends. Well, the last thing that I'll ask you, then it kind of has something to do with you know, being a parent, one thing that really struck me because I saw it right around the time I found out I was going to be a dad was that documentary, the other F word and yeah. your section of that. It was inspiring, man. I loved it. It kind of, cause when you have a kid, you get kind of freaked out. I loved how you guys were open and honest and this is how we're raising our kid and this is how we're doing it. And you can be punk rock and do whatever and still be good parents how do you feel about your involvement with that documentary? Cause I know a lot of people really love your section of that doc. I don't know why it's so funny it's because the funny thing is, uh, I was sleeping. I was hungover. I got to bed really late. The doorbell rang and there was a film crew there and I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, I totally forgot about this. Yeah. That can we set up? I'm like, yeah. And so <laughs> it was, it was, maybe that's why, uh, People like it because it was so real. Yeah. I was like, oh God, I got to cook Darla breakfast <laughs> and I got to drive her to school. And uh, I felt like shit, but that's why it was real. I didn't have anything planned, you know? And another thing that's cool is when they were doing press, they sent out, you know, six, seven different press photos, New York times, SF Chronicle, LA times, they all picked me and Darla in bed. <laughs> and I'm like, Darla, look, you're in the New York times. She's like, oh. You're in the SF Chronicles. She's like, weren't we in that last year? I'm like, oh my God, you're so jaded. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey man, I just got to say, today's been awesome. And anytime you want to come back, even if it's not to talk about a new project, we could just shoot this shit about being on tour or whatever. I've had so, so much fun and uh, you mean a lot to me and your music and your art has always meant a lot to me. So thank you for that. Well, thanks for having me on the show, uh, sincerely. And I'm stoked you like the album. I, I'm so happy that people like this album. Yeah, I, got, I need to get the whole pre-order vinyl thing. I haven't done that yet. I've been listening to the digital version that, that Vanessa sent me. So, cool. Well, cool. 
<laughs> One day you'll hear I'll play the other 13 songs. I'll do it anytime, man. Just let me know. <laughs> The Fake Witch Foundation. That's a good one. Fake Witch Foundation. And thank you for playing the guitar earlier in that new song you're working on. That'll be a nice treat for my audience. They'll like that a lot. Oh. Cool. Well, hey, I will talk to you very soon and enjoy your evening. And very good luck with that phone call you got coming up about the musical, man. Oh, thanks, dude. Awesome. I'll talk to you later, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Bye. So there it was. My conversation with Fat Mike. I had such an amazing time chatting with Mike. I could honestly hang up my podcasting boots after that one. Just kind of, you know, ride off into the sunset. <laughs> I need to make a new bucket list is what I need to do. Uh, this was seriously such an honor, and I hope I can get Mike back on in the future because we didn't even scratch the surface. There's so much more that we could talk about. So, Mike, if you were listening, thank you so much for your time. I know it's very valuable. You made my year, man, and I really appreciate it. Make sure to check out the new No Effects Record single album. It's available everywhere. If you want more information or maybe you want to order it on vinyl or whatever, you can check out fatrec.com. Also, check out their new Patreon. You can be a fly on the wall as they write and record their new upcoming album. It's pretty amazing. No Effects has kind of never given this much access to their fans. And uh, it's totally worth a couple cups of coffee a month. So check it out. You can just go to Patreon and search for No Effects or, or go to, you know, Fat Rex probably got all the information. You guys can find it. You're smart. Go on the socials and type stuff in. If you don't know how to Google something, you should probably find another podcast. <laughs> so check out the No Effects Patreon. And uh, once again, thank you, Mike, so much. I appreciate it. That is it for this week. I appreciate you so much for just spending your time with me. Wherever you listen, your commute, on the toilet, whatever, I really appreciate you guys and gals so much. Make sure to follow us on the socials at TOTOT Podcast. Check out my new band, Fire Sale, the new single. We just played it earlier, Dark Hearts. It's streaming everywhere. You can follow us on the socials at Fire Sale is a band, or you can check out the new website, firesaleisaband.com. If you need to get in touch with me, for any reason whatsoever, it is super easy. TOTOT podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our website, TOTOT podcast.com, and grab some merch while you're there. It's the best way to support the show. So, before I jump out of here, I'm going to play some music like I always do. I'm going to play your last resort from the new No Effects record single album. It was hard to choose what I was going to play, but I think this is a front runner for my favorite. It's got fast stuff and it's got that cool piano intro. I just, I love it so much. Uh, after that, I'm going to follow it up with a classic no effects jam from 2003's War on Errorism, Separation of Church and Skate. So make sure to come back next week. Make sure you're subscribed and everything so you don't miss it. But next week on the program, my guest will be Milo Ackerman from The Descendants, another bucket list guest, two weeks in a row, another guy that pretty much changed my life through the music that he helped create. It blows my mind that I get to sit in my little studio and talk with my heroes, and I could not do it without all of you. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support and for being a part of the TOTOT family. I love this community, and I love all of you. So... I'm out of here. I'm going to play some music and I'm dipping. I got to go. 
Thank you again so much. I love all you guys and gals out there. Remember to wash your hands and wear your masks. Get vaccinated if you can. Be kind to one another. That's a big deal. I will see you next week with Milo. As always, this is Chris. Peace. Did you think that because I was so depraved I needed to be saved I'll never be well behaved Cause I'm told to You think if you stole me You'd be able to control me Cause I'm wearing your ring You think if you shame me You might be able to tame Such a wild thing You knew who I was when we met And you always knew how to respect You never dared to suspect Even when I suspected you Cause your love was true You were a pirate ship that was listing I was a 42 year age port Was I the first rejected cove you found in the storm? Or was I just your last resort?
Hey, kids. Hey, Dad. What do you want to do today? I don't know. Do you want to go to the matinee? No. Do you want to go to the amusement park? No. Do you want to go to the punk rock show? Yeah, let's go to the punk rock show. <laughs> Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propagani. Hi, this is Rory from No Use for Name. Hi, this is Ben Gilly. I'm Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. 
Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.